Welcome to the Creative Agency Account Manager podcast with me, Jenny Plant from Account Management Skills Training. I'm on a mission to help those in agency client service keep and grow those existing client relationships so your agency business can thrive. Welcome to episode 66. Today, we're talking about diversity and inclusion in creative agencies. I really enjoyed talking to DE&I expert Tutu Papula about this topic. She shared so many tips and advice and insight into how agency leaders are navigating their way through the topic in their agencies. And particularly if you're an agency leader, she's going to share the areas of your recruitment systems and processes you need to pay attention to, how you can inadvertently exclude team members when it comes to agency social events, the importance of consulting with your team, particularly before you talk about these topics on social media, how to help your team talk about mental health issues by setting the example, and lots, lots more. I hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. Let's go over to the intro now. Today, I'm absolutely delighted to be talking about a topic that I haven't covered on the podcast yet, and that is diversity and inclusion. And I've invited Tutu Popula to come and talk to me about it. Now, Tutu owns a people and culture company called Sleek HR. And as well as her many HR services, she actually happens to be an advisor for any issue about diversity and inclusion. She works a lot with creative agencies. So I thought this was an opportunity for me to learn about diversity and inclusion and also for the audience to learn more. So Tutu, a very warm welcome to you. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And I love following you on LinkedIn. And I recommend anyone that's listening to do the same because you put out some really brilliant content and educational videos. So well done. Thank you very much. Would you mind sort of starting off by just telling us a bit about you and, you know, just a short intro to who you are and what Sleek HR does? Okay. So once again, Jenny, thank you very much for inviting me on here. Your podcast is amazing. And yeah, I'm just grateful for the opportunity, really. So my name is Tutu, as you've introduced me. And I'm an HR diversity and inclusion consultant. So I started off my career working in HR mainly, and I kind of did that now for about, it's just approaching my 15th birthday. And kind of further down the line, I branched out to also identify as a diversity and inclusion consultant. Because although the two are interwoven, it's not exactly the same thing. They're quite different, but there's an element of diversity work in HR or should I say there should be, because HR is not actually the most diverse industry either. But that's a story for another day. That's another podcast. That's another <laughs> Exactly. So the work that I do with creative agencies around diversity work is something that I initially stumbled on. I was doing quite a number of HR consulting for creative agencies, mostly smaller ones. And then the gap was just there everywhere I turned that there is need for this service. And I started doing, and then I, that's how I just basically got into it. So what does this actually mean in simple English without going into too much detail? It's just ensuring that, you know, workplaces, agencies are inclusive and they represent people from different backgrounds. And that's gender, that's age, that's race, that's all what the law described as protected characteristics in the UK, gender identity, 
just all of that, just ensuring that, you know, there is a representation there for agencies. Now, I've worked with quite a number and the creative industry as a whole, and this is not me, you know, telling people off, but it's not the most diverse industry really. And there's a number of reasons why that is. But generally, you would find that, and I'm sure you know all about this already, Jenny, you don't need me telling you, but the diversity of age is not there. And you would think that, I mean, the creative industry is as old as God knows what, but that is not there. Sometimes there is also the gender issue as well in terms of people in senior roles, you know, not being white male, basically. So I think the biggest one probably, or should I say probably not the biggest, but the most obvious one is around race and ethnicity. And as things have kind of unraveled over the years, especially in the last, I would say, two, three years, there seems to be an, an appetite for change. And the wheels are slowly turning, very slow, but Something's happening, I would say. I don't know. I think that answers your question. I'm it does like, very well. I just thought a lot, Jenny, so you must stop me sometimes. Oh, I love it. Don't Please don't stop. Okay. I was so tempted to dive in there with my own story, you know, of like age. Tell me. Yes, yes. Because funnily enough, Tutu, I interviewed Danny Turnbull, who's a agency growth consultant only a few days ago. And he yep. mentioned that his father had said, if you're going to get into advertising, make sure you're out by 30 because, you know, You've got your ceiling. Yes. She's a bit sad, really, because 30 is like you're just guessing into your career at 30, not thinking of getting out. No, no, exactly. But so, but let's not get sidetracked because I know that I will. But I was just curious. So you obviously sort of developed your consultancy business on the back of this demand that you've seen from people coming to you with questions. So would you be able to say, what are the typical questions or challenges or queries that people come to you with? in terms of this topic? I would probably say the biggest one is how can we become more diverse? And when I get that question is, I always ask what you mean? You are diverse now? Have you got men and women, non-binary people? Yes, you are diverse. So what exactly do you mean by how can we be more diverse? That's the big one because agencies say things like, we advertise our jobs openly. We interview everybody that applies, but we just employ the best. And my question is, what do you mean by the best? What are the metrics with which you are assessing people? And when you bring them into your organization, what's the level of progression? And are there diverse people at senior level? Because that role modeling is very important. If I'm coming into an organization as a Black woman, and there are no Black people in middle management, no Black people in senior management, what are the chances that I have you know, that when I join, I'm going to actually have any kind of career progression within your organization. Interesting. So let's assume that you can't see my color, which I know you can. And I'm just coming in and I'm a woman. No one person is one single thing, but let's leave that to the side for a minute. Let's just say I'm coming in, I'm a woman and it's all white male in senior management, mid-level. The question that's back of my mind is why, where are the women yeah. Where are the women in middle management? Where are the women in senior management? And if I don't see that, if I have to make a choice between two companies, I'll probably not be going with the one that's got no diversity because I'm thinking five years down the line, will I still be basically in the same job? Or will I have an opportunity as a woman to do, you know, work on different projects and progress and, you know, obviously make more money? So that is usually the most popular questions that people come to us with. But then also, sometimes they're not doing it to be altruistic at all. It's because they are 
bid in for work. And now stakeholders are asking questions about DEI policy. They're saying, what's your policy? What policy do you have covering diversity and inclusion? So they want that competitive advantage as well because they've got agencies, C and D, they know what they're doing, or at least they look like they do. And they say, oh, we're doing this. We're supporting the LGBTQ people, the organization. This is how we're attracting black and brown people to here. This is the level of progression of our women. This is our gender pay gap. And you're just there. You haven't got any of this stuff. So at some point it's like, okay, let's find a diversity and inclusion consultant because we can't afford to keep losing out on big projects. So sometimes that's another reason they come to us. Now, diversity, it's not actually easy, should I say, because of the politics that surround, you know, the, talking about the issue of diversity, sometimes people don't necessarily want to do it. So they've avoided it for this long because you don't want to put a foot wrong. You don't want to say something and then you, you trend on Twitter for all the wrong reasons. And then now you're going to release a statement explaining why you said what you said and why you didn't mean it and you're apologizing or whatever. So I think because of all that drama around it, sometimes People just don't want to bother with it at all. So they just want to find somebody who can just say to them, and they can say to the person, this is what we need. How can you help us? And that's where we get involved. You've covered so much in such little time, and I'm sure there's lots of agency owners listening or anyone working in an agency sort of nodding their head along about what you've just said. You know, people wanting a competitive advantage, wanting to avoid the conversation, not wanting to put a foot wrong are seeing that other agencies are doing it or they're being put pressure on by maybe procurement from a client perspective saying, well, what's your policy? And we don't actually have one. So where do we start? So fantastic. I love what you said about, you know, if you're looking at a company and they're all white males and I'm joining as a black woman, what's my thoughts on how I'm going to be progressing within that agency? Yeah. So, wow. Okay. And do you think, are there any legal metrics currently because most creative agencies that I'm dealing with lately are independent so yeah. anything up to 50 people so for such a small company are there any particular like legal requirements yet so on the issue of numbers i would say that most of the clients that we work with are around that number okay so it's okay so you don't need to wait until you have 200 employees to start working on your diversity and inclusion, I think you do it before then, is much easier for you. In terms of metrics, so this is where my HR experience comes in, the Equality Act, which I'm sure you've heard about many times, talks about different protected characteristics that are protected by law. Gender, pregnancy, your race, disability. I think it's about eight or nine that's listed in law. So I would say that's like the general metric, so to say. This is where there is a bit of a delineation between my DI work and my HR work. The law says these people are protected and they should have equal access as anybody else would. I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but that basically is the gist of it. However, it doesn't account for things like socioeconomic backgrounds. So I might be a white male and automatically people might say that I'm privileged as an example, but I'm a white male from an economic background that's not, should I say, not very good, not very great. So in that sense, I am disadvantaged as well. So when the law says, you know, gender, race, because I'm not a woman, 
and I'm white does not necessarily mean that, you know, my life is, you know, perfect and I will never suffer any disadvantage. That economic part still puts me at a disadvantage. Now, the sort of discrimination that this person would face would be different from the one I would face, for example. But there's still something there. So that's why it's important to look deeper. So not just look at, this is what the law says, and as long as, you know, we're compliant in that area, we're fine. But no, look at people from underrepresented backgrounds, socioeconomically deprived areas, for example. There is a lot of work to be done there, especially in the UK. So there's an assumption that if you have a job, you go through a nine to five or whatever times you do, you're doing okay. But there are people that work that still go to food banks and things like that. So there are metrics. I'll use the word loosely, metrics, but it's still important to ensure that, you know, you're looking closely. What I would usually advise is that you consider for, you know, you've got under 50 people. And this advice actually is valid for those bigger as well. Look at these areas and you would cover a lot doing that. Check your systems. What systems do we have in place in terms of how we capture data when people come and work with us or want to come and work with us or how they progress? Check your processes that you have in place. What's our recruitment process? Are we still recruiting? It's 2022, but are we still recruiting our friends' children for internships? Okay. If we're still following that process or we're still giving jobs to our mates, let's face it, we know this would never end. Okay. I think until the end of time, that will still continue to happen. But what formal process do we have in place to ensure that the impact that these kind of decisions will make is minimized? Because this is how people lose out on opportunities because jobs are basically being given to mates, mm -hmm. okay? Not saying it happens all the time, but we know it does. So what are the process you have for recruitment? What do you do in terms of progression? Is there an active plan or are you leaving it to chance that when people come and work within your agency, they go from account executive to senior account executive? And what's the career progression path? What does that look like? within the pay. Also, what does pay look like when people are starting? Are you benchmarking your salaries within your organization? Or are you basically offering men and women the same thing? Now, these things sound really obvious. And some people think, of course we do all this, but do you really? Is this noted? Do you, is it written down somewhere? Are people following it? Because sometimes agents, you know, most agents that say, they start off as founder-led businesses, you know, you start getting more jobs, start getting more people on board, and then it's just growing, and then you're just focusing your attention on, like, the business development. Obviously, that is important. Otherwise, there are no, if there are no contracts, there is no agency. But as you're growing, what are you doing in terms of making sure that things are documented, processes are in place, you have actual processes and you're not winging it a lot of the time. A time will come when you can't deal with your HR yourself. As an agency founder, find people who can do that for you because let's face it, you're one person. Things are going to slip through the net, no matter how great you are. You know, so think about your systems, think about your processes, think about your people and what kind of culture you're creating. I know this sounds really simple, but there are the factors that affect diversity, you know, within the creative sector. All, all your social events in the evenings, for example, okay, and are they all about drinking? Now, I'm not against drinking. I love a drink myself, but 
these things have an impact. If everything that's social is for evenings, what about the parents in your team? Especially the women. We know that women have the majority of the caring responsibilities. Not say all, not saying that men are not involved, but when we look at like overall, women are impacted more with like childcare responsibility or looking after a disabled person within your family and all of that. And everything that you do socially is in the evenings. Every single thing. What do you think is going to happen? At some point, it's bound to be like a feeling of exclusion there. And then if you have people who are religious, so around Ramadan, for example, you've got Muslims within your agency, if you do, and everything is around drinking, again, not the very inclusive environment. Now, I'm not suggesting for a minute here that everything gets changed, but consider those things and see how can we have a bit of a mix to make sure that this is an a truly inclusive environment because these are the things that make the difference between attracting people from diverse backgrounds and retaining them. It makes a difference. Somebody who has thought about all of these things is more likely to retain them than, you know, if you haven't really given it much thought. I'm not saying that there's any perfect organization, but start somewhere is what I would say. Can I just pause you there? Because I think you've shared so much insight already. This has been brilliant. And you're right. I mean, in fairness, a lot of agencies are started by, you know, you're a freelancer and then you start growing your agency and there's a million things to think about. Yeah. Keeping the lights on, keeping the business coming in, let alone stepping back and thinking about your processes and are we being inclusive enough? So there's a huge amount of pressure. And I can see why you recommend get someone who specializes in HR early on to consult with and then maybe kind of take some of the thinking away that they could be doing on your behalf. But absolutely. And I wanted to pick up on a couple of points you said. Sure. Um, you started off by saying systems, i.e. capturing data. Can you give me an example of what you mean by that? Okay. So let me use a recruitment process as an example, because most of us would have gone through some kind of recruitment process at some point. When you're hiring, who are the people that are applying to work with you? Because when people think about having diverse people within the organization performing underrepresented groups. We start thinking from the point of when they're actually employed, but you need to be thinking about the attraction stage. So are we attracting enough women to work with us? Are we attracting enough black and brown people? How would you know that if you don't capture data? Now, you can't not make assumptions on their names because my name may be Alice Kirk. You make an assumption that I'm a white woman and might be Jamaican. Do you see what I mean? So you don't actually know by the name. So when you have a recruitment process and you're thinking about diversity and inclusion already, start thinking from the attraction stage. So you have to capture that data somehow. I would recommend having some sort of application tracking system. The good thing is there's so many of those now and they're not all expensive at all. I mean, they're still expensive ones, but. For different budgets, you can't find them. So capture that data because then you know if we have 50 people who have applied to work with us and then we would be able to know, we wouldn't always know, but we would know that maybe 15 are from this particular background because we've asked them that question at that okay. stage. Now, right. if they make it to the interview stage, then we can then track did the 15 get through to interview? Probably not. Five did. Good. At what points did we lose that five? Gotcha. Okay. 
Gotcha. Do you see what I mean? So you're self-evaluating. You're seeing how good are we or what's happening in our process. Is there a clear pattern here of any kind of, you know, lack of inclusion? Yeah. So if the five people that you've got, let's say you've got five black and brown people and they all five drop off at the first interview, you need to be checking why. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Same with disability. How many disabled people applied to work with us? Mm. How do you know if you don't ask the question? So you're saying we don't have disabled people here or we want to increase the representation of people with disability. But disability, again, is not always visible. If we haven't asked the question, they haven't told us, then how can we make adjustments for them? So naive question alert. Are we allowed to ask people, you know, do you have any of these disabilities? Is that permitted? Oh, you can? Yes, yes, you can. You can ask that question. They don't have to tell you. Okay, but you can ask the question. And also, this is another question. This is what you've just asked. I've answered this question many times. Thank God it's not just me. It's not just you. It's, are we allowed to ask this? You are. It's how you ask it that matters. When you're asking the question, say why you're asking the question. Okay. Say, for example, for disability, we would like to make adjustment to our recruitment process if needed. So we're asking, do you have a disability? Okay. Because that would help us, framing along the lines of this would help us to be able to make adjustments where needed. Okay. Now, when you ask the question and someone says to you, yes, make sure you make adjustments. Mm. Okay. So if I'm a disabled person or neurodiversity and I've ticked that answer as yes, and then there should be a section underneath that where you can then ask me, what adjustments do you need? Mm. Then I can tell you I need maybe some sort of modified tech to go through this process. It may just be, I need wheelchair access to your buildings. Mm. So you need to know if it's a face-to-face one and I'm coming in, if I'm on a wheelchair, I can actually get in there and I don't have to be carried up the stairs or anything that's so undignified. Mm. But if you haven't asked those questions, you don't know. Yes, you are allowed to ask those questions. People don't have to tell you what you're going to ask. This is brilliant info to to keep going because this is fantastic. One question about the processes. You said, you know, are we stepping back and thinking, are we just recruiting our friends? You know, do you think sometimes people do that just to avoid recruitment costs? Yes. You know, does anyone know anyone? It's easy. Let's face it. We are humans at the end of the day. Sometimes it's just easy. Okay. James, my friend, is looking for a job or his son's just graduated. I need somebody. This is somebody here. I just offer them the job. Mm. It's easy. But the truth of the master is, one year down the line, two years down the line, this is how a whole organization ends up looking the same because your friends are people from your social group. Most likely you have more in common with them than somebody who's going to apply from Sheffield or somewhere who you don't even know anything about. So everything just begins to look very like monolithic and homogeneous in nature, if you see what I mean. So yes, I would agree with you. It's easier to just, you know, offer the job to somebody. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. And, you know, talking about inclusivity when you're doing any kind of team building exercises or social events. I mean, I thought that was very insightful. You know, don't make it always in the evening. Don't make it always alcohol related. You know, don't make it sports related if you've got, you know, just being sensitive. I think what you're saying, like, don't not do it, but just be sensitive to it. Yeah. So amazing. This is fantastic. Now, 
Do you want to keep going or can I start referring to this census that came out? Yeah, please. Let's do the census. Okay, because I didn't want to interrupt your flow because you're going to carry on. But I just wanted to pause and just say that the World Federation of Advertisers conducted recently, as you told me, a global DE&I census last year. And it led to a charter for change and it was launched at Cannes Lions this year. We're recording this in June 2020. So it's around now. And they basically have identified 11 main action areas. And what I'd love to do, Tuto, is just maybe not perhaps go through every single action area that they're talking about, but certainly get your point of view on this. I mean, first of all, just in terms of the actual initiative itself, what's your view on what they've done here? I think it's amazing. I think it's fantastic. I absolutely love it. (laughs) And that's because coming from, you know, such an established organization, an event that, you know, brings together everybody basically within the industry for them to be saying this. So I'm sure there's nobody now that doesn't know that it needs, you know, to do diversity work or inclusion is important. We all know that now. But I think it kind of solidifies it again, you know, in people's mind. And it then makes it something that you definitely need to look at within your organization. And also clients would also be wanting to ask questions around this. What is it that you're doing? So it kind of lights up the fire a little bit more than it was burning before. So yeah, I think it's great. Great. And the first four points actually cover talking about actions for leadership, which is something you brought up at the beginning. And the first point was create a diverse leadership team, which you've already spoken about. And also you've covered understanding and democratizing your company's data. Yeah. So do you want to speak a little bit more about this and anything about the leadership team's responsibility for creating psychological safety and support for their teams? Anything that we haven't talked about in terms of the responsibility of the leadership team? Because I'm sure there are leaders listening to this and it would be lovely to hear from you any kind of further insight that you had for them. So this is really important because people need to feel like they can say things and they're not going to be, well, they may ruffle feathers, but it's basically not going to cost them their job. Okay. And that comes from knowing that leadership, how do I put this? If the leadership is at the forefront of these conversations and there's transparency on their side, and sometimes this transparency can just be as simple as, look, I don't know enough about this. So I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure. And I observed this when the old George Floyd issue happened, mm-hmm. okay, when he was murdered, that a lot of organizations wanted to do something or they were coming out or leadership teams felt the pressure to be able to address their team, you know, around this. And they didn't know what to say. Because they don't want to say the wrong thing. And a lot of us were also getting our heads around, you know, what's just happened. And it was like a global explosion. So sometimes you need to be vulnerable, which for some leaders is really difficult by saying, I don't know much about this right now, but I want to hear your experiences. Haven't worked with us. What's your assessment? How do you think we are doing as an organization? You're not going to love everything you hear. In fact, you might not even like majority of what you will hear. But conversations like that would create that, you know, psychological safety where people think, okay, since you've asked, now when they then tell you, don't be defensive, don't listen to defend your position, take it as feedback. I always say that feedback is a gift. 
okay? Might not be a wanted gift, still a gift, but it's a really good opportunity for you to listen to what your team is saying and be able to then act on it. Not to say you're going to be able to do what everybody wants. That would be really difficult. In fact, it might be even impossible. But it would then ensure that whatever strategies you're putting in place, if you then want to go down the route of having, you know, of initiatives, it would be the right one because you've actually listened. That active listening is very simple, but it's also very difficult because sometimes employees might say something, but because they don't understand the full picture of what you see, but they don't see, you might want to quickly jump in and say, oh, no, no, that's not true. This is not what we do. No, resist the urge to do that. Just listen in that moment and go and have a think about it. Sometimes this facilitation of this kind of conversations, you need to bring somebody in to do it for you because they would need to be able to hold space in that moment and just allow people to express themselves and then guide the conversation in a way that is safe for everyone. Okay. When I say safe, I don't mean acceptable. I don't mean that we're all going to love it, but it's really important to do that work. And I think a lot of agencies, some have done this work and some haven't. Sometimes it's probably just fear. Would you, I mean, two questions really coming out of this. Do you think typically agencies do do this, you know, carrying out some kind of formal feedback loop with their staff? And if they do, do you think in the majority of cases they attempt to do it themselves rather than getting an external person to do it? So I want to say they always do. But then I think that's representative across other industries as well. So I'm not knocking anybody now. Mm. It's not an easy thing to do. And even I would tell you that, you know, up front. Now, the way that they might have gone about it from what I've observed is around particular events. So Pride Month, for example, sometimes they might put out some communication because, you know, everybody would you know, changing their logo to the rainbow. And also during, I don't know what's going to happen for Black History Month this October, but I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> they might publicize, like two years ago, it was the Black Square, so everyone was posting on their social media, you know, pages. So that's what they're doing externally. Internally, they may be talking about, you know, we want to do better. We would like to do better. We want to increase representation. Some might even announce targets that this is what we're doing. And usually it's that window, mm-hmm. I think, that some would use to ask for feedback from their staff. Usually, I've probably seen one open conversation about it. I've seen it once or twice. Usually they ask for feedback. It's not something that's kind of discussed openly, you know, within the team. That also might be because of culture. So different, you know, cultures within every organization has their own personality and culture and how they do things. And so some might just want to go with what they're used to, what's safe for them. But what I would say in that kind of situation is try and rock the boat a little bit. You might get a little bit more out, get somebody external, let that happen. Ask for, as part of your kind of feedback process, somebody that doesn't really know you know, that this person in that council doesn't get like, along together, you know, with that person that I would just throw the questions out there and see what comes back. And can also, because they're external, there might be a level of trust where people think, okay, maybe this is going to go somewhere. I suppose to be, it's just Dave, the founder, asking us again. Apologies if there's any Dave. 
Oh, you're so good. I think this is fantastic. And I think you're going to get more rich information from your team if they're talking to an external person. Because the point you said about, you know, for these Black Lives Matter days or Black Awareness or the rainbow for the LBT, you know, if your company is putting out any kind of social media, but as a person working inside your agency, you know that there's problems and they're not diverse and they're not open-minded or it's kind of a bit crass, isn't it? And it's a bit inauthentic. So that's going to wind you up even more. Yeah. And, and by asking people for feedback, at least you get the opportunity to vent a little bit. I suppose, yeah. what I'm, I mean, Tutu, I've been in enough toxic agency environments and maybe I'm coming at it through a little bit of a lens here. So sorry. But okay. there's these conversations that I had between team members that you kind of know these individuals within the senior management team and the way of working and their behaviours. And what they say to the external world isn't how they are internally yeah, and how they treat people, for example. So I think this is great advice. Yeah, I think that that's happened. Same thing with mental health as well. Mental health awareness. We're posting about mental health, you know, mental health tips. We're supporting this charity. And there are people working with mental health challenges in-house, in your, in your yeah. company. They're crying because they've been working on a pitch for 24 hours and yes. someone's saying, well, what, are you going to be in the office at nine tomorrow? Exactly. They work late. You expect them to come very early. They're asking for adjustments to the way they work just to accommodate, you know, their mental health and, and all of that. And you're not making that adjustment for all you're saying, oh, you know, this is what the client wants. Or if you have a client that's clearly bullying your account exec, account manager or whoever. And this is having an impact on their day-to-day life. And you're not giving them that support that they need. Mm. This is where your work should start. The people that actually work with you, before you post it on your Twitter page, before you put it on Instagram, think. <laughs> Pause. Our, this is Mental Health Awareness Week. We're about to talk about the How have we supported the mental health of the 15, 20, 40 people that work with us? What are we doing to support them? Then you post. I think maybe there's this lack of self-awareness. I think maybe there needs to be a self-awareness day of some kind because I'm kind of laughing only because I'm kind of being triggered by this conversation because... I'm sorry. No, 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 not at all. I think it's just the reality and paying lip service to something and then the reality of what actually is happening and their behaviours. And I suppose the, the other thing too, too, I work very closely with a lot of account managers. I get very close to them and they share things with me. Yeah. And not only do they not get asked for their feedback on an irregular basis, they're not even supported. Then they don't have that feedback loop where they, they tell me stuff that they're kind of worried about telling their boss or senior management team. And it breaks my heart, actually. Mm. So mm. this is really good advice. So anything else that we haven't talked about around kind of the role of the leadership team? I think that diverse leadership team, having representation there, I think is really important as well. Look at your leadership team and what are the people there? Now, sometimes when we say things like this, the first thoughts for some people might be, well, I can't start them to replace them with, you know. True. So I'm not suggesting that you go and think, okay, four white males, I'm going to fire two and employ two women. No, this is not what we're saying. What we're saying is that 
when an opportunity opens up, think about who you're replacing them with. Are you basically recruiting like for like again? Mm. Now, also look at the people just below them in terms of Eric, because I don't think anybody's below. In terms of, you know, what is the pipeline that you have within your organization? Is there an opportunity for progression for people onto the next level? Because sometimes when you have, you know, the leadership team, there's really not much chance of people growing into that role from like a little bit more junior roles. And once one person leaves, we immediately, you know, helicopter people in from outside. But what about your homegrown talent? And if you think that they're not ready for that role, why are they not ready? Sometimes the answers you get to that question is quite revealing. It might be people who just decided that at the moment I'm already working 60 hours. Okay. If you're saying to me, there's an opportunity for me to step up. How many hours am I going to be working? I have caring responsibility. I have young children. I have a disabled person that I look after within my family. I can't work more hours than I'm already working. So it kind of goes again to the heart and the culture of your, your agency, how you are looking after your people. And these things is very challenging. So I was saying to you earlier to just look at one thing without it feeding into, you know, all the other different things as well. If people are not ready to step up, how can you support them, you know, for this to happen? And think about maternity, for example, maternity pay. Okay. Anytime I see an announcement on LinkedIn or somebody saying that they got promoted when they were on maternity leave, it just makes me happy. Or they've just come back from maternity leave and they are, you know, been able to step up or how their company has supported them. Sometimes you look at these things as the fluffy stuff, but this is part of how you build your diversity. You're keeping moms mm. or dads or people who have careers within your company. It would enrich your brand mm. because they have a separate life outside of, not saying that we don't all have, you know, lives outside of work, but what they will bring, the richness that they will bring into your culture is different. It's just that it just gives that little bit different. It makes it a little bit more exciting. So yes, sometimes you might say these things are just being fluffy and, you know, it's not the real stuff that we do, but is it not? Or is it? So you're saying make sure that you're looking internally as well. And also, I think the other thing that I've picked up just recently, actually, is when you're perhaps looking to hire from the outside, think about your team that you might be recruiting for the role that someone is in line with, but you just haven't even considered them. Like you're saying, you know, make sure you're thinking about how that's going to make them feel because that is the quickest route to demotivation I've ever known. Yeah. If suddenly someone else appears and you think, well, that was my career path. So you're right. Make sure that they are given a pathway. And even if you think that they're not ready, they might not be ready now. They might be in 12 months, you know, but why are they not ready now? Mm. And how can you support them to be ready? To that point too, too. So we've got this, I mean, this is going a little bit micro now, but I get a lot of agency owners asking me this question. And I'd love to hear your view on this. I'll try. The biggest leap in the account management space is going from account manager to account director. Mm-hmm. possibly because all of a sudden you're in charge of a team, possibly because up until this point, it's been very operational and getting projects through the agency rather than understanding the client's business, being more strategic. So in lots of senses, there's a big leap. And a lot of agency owners say, 
this account manager is not ready for account director. And they struggle to come up with the pathway. They struggle to pin it down. What's your approach for creating that pathway? Um, that's a good question. If say that they're not ready, why are they not ready? I mean, it could be a number of things. I mean, sometimes they say, oh, they haven't got a lot of executive presence. So if I've got to think that that person is going to be suddenly dealing with the C-suite or the, you know, the CMO, and up until this point, they've been dealing with the marketing managers, they're not coming with any presence or it could be a number of things, but they've got it in the back of their mind. Help them to be ready is what I would say, because at the moment, retention is one of the biggest issues the organizations are facing. People are just basically jumping ship. That would always happen anyway. But just that we're seeing it at a level now that's so high that I do wonder whether it's going to be sustainable long term. But that's another story. But if you see someone with potential, and I don't even like using that word because I believe that we all have some level of potential, but let's just take that on face value. And this is the natural progression for them. Help them before you actually even have that opening. For example, you're an agency owner or you're an account director and you are going into these meetings, you know that this person has only dealt with marketing managers before, ask them to come with you. They would learn by observation, mm. okay? They would learn by observation and have a debrief before and after. This is what we're going in there for. This is how I think it would go. And when they're at the meetings, when you feel like, you know, they're ready, let them contribute as well. So not just going as observers. This is how they're going to learn. This is part of your work. This is part of learning within that organization. Let them observe you doing those things. Let them observe senior people doing those things. So when you have people at the leadership team, when they're networking as well, do it with your team. Bring them along on your journey as well. Because the time is coming when you're not going to be able to do everything, depending on, you know, the rate of your growth. But because you prepared them for that time, they're ready to step into those roles. But if you keep everybody in at their own level doing their own thing, and then all of a sudden you've got this huge gap, and then you then expect them to just kind of come in and do it, it's going to be challenging for them. I think that's really practical advice. You know, come in, be the observer. Let's have a pre-meeting plan. Let's conduct the meeting and then let's have a debrief. I think that also points to the systemization of internal meetings and external meetings. And I, as part of my program, we have a pre-meeting plan template where okay. you're able to all get on the same page, make sure everyone has a role and a responsibility in that meeting. And also, you know, who's the client? Have we done any research? What are we anticipating the questions being, et cetera, et cetera. So I love that you've pointed to a very practical approach to helping them develop. Yes. I also like what I've seen of your accelerator program as well. So that's a bit more formal type learning process that they can go through. So something like that and also similar type of programs will be really useful in terms of helping people, developing your people. So wouldn't it be great, you know, you have somebody join you, you know, as an intern, and then they've kind of just progressed through the rank and they've built with you. There's a level of knowledge that those kind of people have that somebody new coming in wouldn't have because they understand the old DNA of the organization. Why would you want to lose that? you know, just like that. And then because, you know, people just leaving because they can't really progress. And I hear that 
I mean, not just here, this is something that we've observed is that sometimes people feel like they have to leave to be able to get a pay rise or to be able to get promoted. That would always happen. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not much you can do to change that. But sometimes there is a place for developing talents that you already have and making sure that there's that clear progression path for them, you know, within your organization. With creatives, especially with the younger people, sometimes it's really difficult to nail down what they are best at because they come in, they're so creative. There's so much information out there. And they do so many different things and they do so well. And it's like, oh, where does this person fit in here? Do I want to pigeonhole them here? But roll with it and, you know, use their talents in that way. Let them have the opportunity. There's something that's been said about, you know, the Gen Z and how they work. And they just know so many things. They want to do so many. They want to try their hands at so many different things. I think there's a, there's a real opportunity there. To be able to, you know, roll with that, not just say, okay, this is how we've always done it. You're either here or you're there and that's it. Because then you're missing out on that knowledge as well. So think about building the role around the individual's strengths rather than trying to pigeonhole them into one thing. Yeah. Let them try different avenues, but also then kind of see what they're accelerating at and see what they're enjoying Absolutely. when they're in flow and then just crafting. That is being quite progressive with your kind of business model as well isn't it yes it is it's not easy and I, I can probably hear somebody in my ear now saying it's easy for you to say because you do the HR you do the diversity it's not quite the same but if you start thinking along those lines you know it would be something that you know will be useful for you to do I think like particularly for the audience that we're talking to at the moment is typically agency account managers. A lot of people with that title have what we call a hybrid role where they do project management, like timelines, estimates, you know, resourcing, tracking, trafficking. But also the other half is the pure account management, which is a lot more commercial. It's a lot more yes. about developing the client relationships, growing the account, understanding the client's business, making inroads to sell more stuff and, you know, to see opportunities to add more value to the client. So often you find people that have a leaning towards one side of the role or the other. They frankly prefer one side or they just have a natural bias for it. So it's about spotting that, isn't it? And not trying too hard because you could have a super duper project manager there. Yes. You don't want to lose. No instead of a, a pure account manager. Yeah. Listen, I'm just conscious of time. Tutu, you've just shared like knowledge bomb after knowledge bomb. And I've just been having, I think, yeah, yeah. We haven't talked about underrepresented groups a lot in terms of age or actually mental health. You did touch on mental health because mental health recently is quite a big topic, isn't it? It is. Is there any tips or insights that you can share for agency owners that maybe? kind of this might be your topic that's coming up for them? I think around mental health, it can be a big, little bit, you know, challenging to talk about, but you need to do it. Now, around mental health, there needs to be support in place. Sometimes you think we don't really get that very involved when, you know, start talking about people's mental health and things like that. But if people ask the question, is everybody okay? Sometimes we think about big grand gestures that we were going to make. We're going to have a strategy, have a plan around mental health. And sometimes start with, is everybody okay? Okay. And it kind of removes the air of formality a little bit. And people think, actually, am I okay? And also 
transparency for leaders. You've had a bad day. Feel free to share that with your team. They see you. You're perfect. You do everything. You know the answer to everything. There is a level of pressure that surely that's about for your team because now they want to be perfect as well, consciously or unconsciously. You never share any bad moments. Everything's great. Everything is perfect. So having a level of vulnerability as a leader is really important. Today is not a good day for me. You know, this has happened and that has happened. I'm not doing great at all, but I will be okay. I'm going to take the afternoon off or whatever. What that does is not just you oversharing, okay? What that does is it humanizes you as a leader. They don't see you as a leader. Now you're Tom, okay? And that then gives them permission as well. On the days where they're not feeling great, they'll feel like they can express it. But if they see you all the time, never have a bad day, you're always great, it's then difficult because for them to also be able to say when, you know, things are not going well. And sometimes you get to know people more when they share, you know, these things with you. And then you might find out some things about them that you didn't know before that actually would impact how they work, who they are. You tend to know them a little bit better that way. So as a leader, be vulnerable, okay? Be human, ask people how they are. And when they share things with you, don't feel like you have to, come up with a solution sometimes they just want to talk stop for a minute and talk you know and listen to them if you get to a point where you think okay this is really serious get help refer them I think it's really useful the mental health first aid course I've been on that is really useful resource for leaders so think about you know, people within your company that can go on that. It don't need to be super big to do that. It doesn't cost that much. What they do is they learn strategies on that course, how to listen when people come to speak to you, how to hold space for them um, when they want to discuss their mental health and all of that. And it doesn't need to be HR that does this. It can literally be colleagues, you know, within. So invest in that and then signpost people and then, you know, promote it within your team to say, oh, we have two mental health first aiders. If anybody wants to talk, come and speak to me. Or if you prefer, go and speak to these two people. You will be surprised at the things that happen when you do that. You also empower your team as well because they then know that, okay, you really care about this stuff. And then they want to be a bit more open and things don't get to crisis points when, you know, it then gets really challenging and then everyone's running around trying to find a solution or people are taking six months off work. If there are things that can be done, you know, before then, then yeah, it needs to win. Put in some investment behind it if you can. Great advice. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I asked that question because that was super helpful to anyone listening, I'm sure. So thank you so much. Listen, I have taken so much of your time. This time has just gone I can't believe how long we've been talking. You are This is why I told you. I warned you at the beginning. (laughs) You're so easy to talk to, Tito. You're you're absolutely delightful. So this has gone really fast for me. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you would like to add just as a parting piece of advice for agencies or any topic that we haven't covered that you think that is really, really important that we share before we wrap up? Okay, so a few things. First one, the world of diversity and inclusion is very layered, okay? And it's not always about you know, what's visible and it's not always black and white. So when we talk diversity, when we talk inclusion, when we talk equity, it's not just about having more black and brown people. Although within the creative industry, a lot 
more can be done about that. <laughs> but it's very layered. But I'll say, take some time to educate yourself on this and also particularly around your systems and your process within your organization, what you do within your agency. And try not to worry too much about, you know, having a bit of a misstep and then because of that, just avoiding it altogether. Okay. Sometimes we are going to get it wrong. And that's part of the learning, actually, is that we get it wrong and then we think, okay, what is the right way? And then we learn. For example, with the LGBTQ plus community, sometimes I might say some things and somebody will correct me. Then I say, great, thank you. Tell me more. Okay. Then next time I know better. Do you see what I mean? But then if I avoid it altogether, then I don't learn anything. So just use that as an example. And uh, yeah, just start somewhere. Usually start somewhere. You would find that as time goes on, it would grow. And then it will kind of feel time to kind of different areas. But start somewhere. If you're not sure where to start from, ask your team, get external advice. There's always help available. And to that point about getting external advice, if someone has listened to this and thought, oh my goodness, I could really do with talking to Tutu about my particular situation, how can people get hold of you, Tutu? So I'm on LinkedIn, Tutu Popola. Find me on LinkedIn or you can send me an email, tutu at sleekhr.co.uk. Yeah, go and watch some of my videos on there. I've been told they're good. They're short. Um, just to get it's kind of a sense of who I am and what I do. I do try to post there, you know, but sometimes I don't do enough. We'll put those links in the show notes and hopefully people have got a sense for you as we've gone through this conversation because you're just so open, so straight talking and you clearly have a lot of experience in this area. So I would urge anyone that's got any kind of situation that they'd like to discuss around DE and I to talk to Tutu. So Tutu, thank you so much for joining me. This has been absolutely brilliant. You're welcome. And thank you for inviting me as well. We would have thought that meeting on LinkedIn would lead to this, but there we go. This is where we are, where we are now. And it's (laughs) lovely. I really enjoyed talking to you, Jenny, and very much appreciated as well. You too, too, too. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed my chat with Tutu and I would encourage you to get in touch with her if this is a topic where you think some external counsel might be helpful. And finally, there's been a lot of talk about the changing financial climate that's coming and often talking of recession. So it's going to be even more important to make sure we're looking after those existing client relationships. So if you'd like to talk to me about client retention and growth training for your account management team or maybe for yourself, then please do get in touch. You can go to my website, accountmanagementskills.com and find out more about my training program, Account Accelerator, or you can contact me on LinkedIn, Jenny Plant, and let's have a chat about whether it's right for you. So I look forward to speaking to you on the next one.